The 10th commandment found in Exodus 20, verse 17. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And concerning this commandment, the church confesses in Lord's Day 44 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that in the Book of Praise. It's on page 558. What does the Tenth Commandment require of us? That not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No, in this life even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God." If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, so that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what would you be like if you were perfect? What would you want to change to be perfect? What does a perfect child, or teenager, middle-aged person, or senior even look like? You can imagine us working together here. We could set up a screen and try project a profile of a perfect person. What, what would we put on the screen? Would it be a, a man or a woman? Or maybe we should just leave that and say, let's imagine both. Maybe it's best to do two images. What would you want that man or that woman to look like? The perfect man, the perfect woman. Well, I think every one of us here today would have a different idea of our perfect person's body type, their age, their height, their education, their skill set. The profile of a perfect person depends on our ideals, which are shaped by our culture and tend to focus on character and appearances that other people have. The people that our society is providing as, as the chosen models that we should strive to be like. A lot of people covet the life of other people. Now, as Christians, as you were thinking of the profile of a perfect person, 
I'm sure that you were thinking of a person without sin. Whatever profile we came up with in our minds, a man or a woman, a skilled, street-smart youth, or a sage academic, a happy-go-lucky, lazy-fair, middle-aged person, or a hardened, disciplined soldier and athlete, we as Christians would add in, and needs to be sinless. Right? But what if we flipped it around and said the only characteristic people need in order to be perfect is that they are sinless? Is being sinless enough to be truly perfect? Well, the world that wants to control your thoughts and your, your lives, they certainly don't want you to think that you can be perfect without all that stuff you might write down on your perfect me or your perfect future wife or perfect future husband lists. But the good news of the gospel is that being sinless and righteous makes you capable of living in fellowship with God forever. And that is everything in God's kingdom. This is what God requires of us in the 10th commandment. And this best life ever possible pointed to in the 10th commandment is also what God has given to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. If we are in Christ, we do not need to turn anywhere else to reach the goal of perfection. The only perfect person we know in all the world is Jesus Christ. And we don't even know what he looked like. When we speak of Jesus being perfect, we don't mean that no one could pitch a baseball better than he could, or that he could learn to nurse a baby better than you do, or that he was able to fly an airplane. Of course not. And that's because being perfect has to do with obeying God's will without any sin. In whatever body God has given to you, in whatever task and calling you have received. The Tenth Commandment shows us that we, with the bodies and minds that He has given us, are perfect when we are content to live as He created us to live for His glory, in fellowship with Him, in harmony with our neighbor. We lost this perfection when we fell into sin. The Son of God took on our human flesh to restore us to this perfection. He paid for the guilt of everyone who believes in Him. He obeyed God perfectly, and now everyone who believes in Him is declared righteous together with Jesus Christ. And now, guided by the Holy Spirit, we press on to make that full experience of perfection our own, because Christ Jesus has made us his own, was the text, Philippians 3, verse 12, that you saw displayed on the wall as you walked in. It's the gospel I preached to you under the theme, citizens of God's kingdom have a one-track heart focused on perfection, perfect in love, perfect in dependence, perfect in glory. In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus commands the citizens of God to be perfect. It's Matthew 5, verse 48. 
And he explains that the citizens of God's kingdom are perfect when they treat other people like our Heavenly Father does. If you look at Matthew 5, verses 43 to 47, you'll see that being perfect in love has to do with being unchanging and consistent in the way that we treat others, no matter what those other people think about God and His church. And the good news is that when we are in our Lord Jesus Christ, we can have a small beginning in doing God's will in this way. Jesus shows this to us when He says in Matthew 5, verse 43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your enemy, sorry, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We have heard this too, haven't we? In the Old Testament, the church was being raised up through one nation that was raised up in one special land in anticipation of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And in that time, any mixing or intermarriage with other nations or religions was a direct threat to God's saving work. It was an attack on the promised Messiah whom God had promised to send through the nation of Israel. Holiness was connected to nationalism. Hate of enemies like that expressed in Psalm 139 and some other imprecatory psalms, that hatred flowed out of love for God's promise of salvation because foreign religions threatened the hope of salvation. Well, the problem that Jesus is addressing, however, is when people replace that godly anger against the devil's attack on the coming Messiah with a hatred that arises out of pride and an uncaring attitude. The enmity that God established to save His church had become an excuse for people to say that it's okay to hate your enemy for whatever cause. The holy need to hate the devil and our own sinful nature that we continue to express when we sing many of the psalms, that holy need for anger was, was twisted into a hatred of anyone who didn't like us as a friend or attacked our lifestyles. Jesus explained that even if they had heard it said before, it was not okay to hate someone just because they were not a Jew. Just because a person doesn't know the Lord's will or serves oppressive governments as tax collectors. It doesn't give the citizens of God's kingdom divine permission to hate them. The enmity and the hatred of God's enemies that we read about in the Old Testament were always connected to a recognition of God's awesome holiness and His amazing grace to the covenant people of God through whom our Lord sent His Son into the world to redeem everyone who was under the curse of the law. And then our Lord Jesus was born and when the Son of God came into the world, that temporary need for the guardians of the law and the protectors of the line of promise through the covenant people of Israel disappeared. God had preserved a faithful remnant 
that persevered through all the attacks of the devil as they are recorded in the Old Testament. The remnant's love for their neighbor, which was, re- was expressed in their refusal to allow God's enemies to profane the holy work of God, brought the world to the day when the head of the serpent was crushed. We are at a different time in the history of Revelation. Our Lord Jesus is drawing our attention to this. We're at a different time in the history of Revelation, not because God is calling us to a different life or to a different attitude, but because our greatest enemy has been crushed and God has finally and definitively opened the way into the kingdom through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus teaches us that to be perfect is to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us so that we may be sons of our Father who is in heaven. The word sons refers to our calling to imitate our Father in His work as it applies today to both men and women and and boys and girls. Sons imitating our Heavenly Father do not ignore the differences between the evil and the good, but like our Father who sends sun and rain on both, they believe that what other people do does not affect our responsibility toward them, our responsibility to care for them. You see that every time you see rain falling or the sun shining, you see how God in His grace cares for everyone. It's true that our responsibility as sons of our Heavenly Father includes the responsibility of identifying the enemies of Christ and His church. And it includes the responsibility of treating different people in different ways just as the Father will give rain to some and son to others according to their needs and his care for them. But this responsibility to others does not include hating them. Hating our enemies doesn't change anything for them whose doom is guaranteed. And it only distracts God's people from the joyful fact of Christ's victory over death. Since Christ has conquered the evil one, he's promised that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. We as followers of Christ today may truly love our neighbors in obedience to all the commandments of God, honoring them in authority, protecting their lives, treating others in all purity, not stealing, speaking the truth. And we don't have to be afraid of losing anything because Christ has obtained it all for us. And we show this love not just to the people who love us and punch us on the shoulder and call us buddies, not just to those who who greet us and make us feel warm inside, but we show a love that goes way beyond the common politeness of unbelievers because our love is like the rain and the sun that our Heavenly Father sends on both the evil and the good. The gospel message of Christ's victory is that we can live in love without any fear. 
We are free to care for the well-being of everyone without fearing what they might do to God or His church. We can love without harboring this bitterness or resentment. We know where they stand. Who else will tell the enemies of God and His church about God's glorious name? If it is not we who have received that amazing message of Christ's victory over death, We who know God's grace and know His love, who know where that sun and that rain comes from, safe in the hands of our Father, as citizens of an eternal kingdom in whom God dwells by His Spirit, we have been given new hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those hearts and minds already promised in the 10th commandment. Desiring perfect love towards others around us, we can see how closely this love is connected to our faith, to our trust, to our dependence on the foundation of the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we are perfect in dependence. Obeying the Ten Commandments perfectly involves being perfect in our love to our neighbors and perfect in our love toward God. Being perfect in love toward God is trusting and depending on Him so much that we simply do His will. We simply obey Him because we trust in Him. In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus teaches us that this dependence on God must go beyond mere words and mere sayings must be something that we we really love and something we really are doing. In order to live in sincere fellowship with God, we cannot be superficial or fake in our relationship to Him. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord summarizes all His teaching by showing that the citizens of the kingdom of God don't just hear the words of Jesus Christ, but they also do them. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven do more than just say, Lord, Lord. But they will also be doing the will of Christ's Father who is in heaven. If we really believe the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, those words will affect the choices, the decisions we make. There are consequences of our confession and our Lord uses a parable what this to describe what this perfect dependence looks like in practice. And it's in the portion we read in Matthew chapter 7. We know the parable of the two builders very well. One man, the wise man, builds his house on a foundation of rock, and the other builds his house on sand. And the house built on the rock gets its strength from outside of itself in the foundation of rock that's deep down in the ground, but the house that's built on the sand is is relying on its own strength. The builder who wants to build his house on a foundation of rock has to search very carefully to find a good place to build, but the other builder has more flexibility. He kind of put his house up wherever he chooses. The builder who builds his house on the rock shows that he believes that 
that, the, that storms that the house cannot withstand on its own strength will come. But the builder on the sand undermines the threat of enemies and disaster. He puts his confidence in, in the thing that, that he put together, that he built. And if you're walking up to these two houses, the two houses will, will look the same from the outside. But if you dig down, you'll see a major difference that reveals two very different worldviews, two different ways of understanding this world. The two houses are the consequence of two very different confessions. And through His parable, the Lord Jesus wants you to think about what you confess to be true. And how much you believe in what you say is the truth. He invites you into the parable and asks the question, do you depend on the Lord for everything? Or are you just putting on a show? Are you seeking to obey the Tenth Commandment in every part of your life? Or have you undermined the holiness of God? Have you lost interest in the kingdom of heaven? While we show what we believe about God, we show what we believe about the world by how we build our households, how we establish our lives, how we choose our careers. And the storms of life will reveal the truth. We either depend on Him completely for our strength as the Tenth Commandment requires of us and prevail in the midst of tribulations or we depend on ourselves and the strength of the houses that we have built and when tribulations come our houses fall with a great crash. And it's a matter of life or death. Being perfect in your love for your neighbor, being perfect in your dependence on God and your love for Him, that's not just a, an ideal goal. That's something we, we just joke about and wonder, well, be nice. But being perfect in our love for God and for our neighbor is everything for the citizens of the kingdom of God who have a one-track heart focused on perfection. Well, the good news is that when we depend on God for this perfect love, He gives us what we need to love Him perfectly. He sent His Son to remove the sins of everyone who trusts in Him. He gave us access to His divine majesty through Jesus Christ. And when Christ's work is the foundation of our lives, the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts so that we don't just hear God's Word, but we also seek to do His will in everything. That the evidence of the foundation underneath us is, is seen as we run with eagerness over and over again to be assured of the forgiveness of our sins, our righteousness in Him. The perfect love for God required in the 10th commandment has been accomplished for us by Jesus Christ. And we share in His love 
when we trust in Him as our Savior and Lord? Do you depend on God? Do you pray to Him for the grace of the Holy Spirit that you may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after His image? The good news is that when we have the triune God as the foundation of our lives, striving to love Him perfectly, we will persevere in the midst of all the storms of life and in Him we will arrive to eternal glory. And so how do we react when we hear the Ten Commandments in our lives now? We know the work of Jesus Christ for us and in our place. And then we hear the Ten Commandments. and What do they remind you of? They're reminded that we continue to have thoughts and desires that are contrary to God's commandments. Although we have been saved from our sins in Jesus Christ, we, we hear the commandments and, and they're like a bright light and they expose for us to see that we do not always hate sin with all our heart or delight in all righteousness. We often are coveting things that are not helpful to us at all. We cannot find contentment in the sinfulness that we still see in our lives that the Ten Commandments are exposing. And that's why we confess that perfection is a goal that is yet to be attained. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the perfect has not yet come in its fullness. Although we are content in the love of and the work of the triune God and we know very well that we are called to love others in dependence on the work of Jesus Christ, our eyes are always looking forward to the fullness of the kingdom of God. That's how it influences then how we see the Ten Commandments today. We see them, them pointing us forward. People who don't know the work of Jesus Christ they hear the Ten Commandments, they might respond with, with fear or perhaps with anger or perhaps with despair. But the commandments have a different effect on Christians who know the love of God in Jesus Christ. We are made aware of our sins, but as we're made aware of them, we we only just rejoice more and more in the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ. We, we, we only see more and more how important, absolutely important, the righteousness of Christ is for us in our lives. Because we see that there's nothing more important for any one of us here today, whether you're a young child or a more experienced senior of the, of the congregation, there's nothing more important than living in fellowship with God today and forevermore. Living in peace with Him. And so we live our lives with that promised hope of that perfect peace with God. Already now, Christ's righteousness attracts us. We see that relationship. We see what His righteousness brought to Him. We want to be like Him, living that close to God. We run to Him. 
You know what I'm talking about, right? When you, you see the perfection of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know what I'm talking about, that desire to be Christ-like. Isn't it wonderful? That fight that you have against your daily sins of weakness. The small beginning of this obedience that you see in your own heart that's evidence of the Holy Spirit leading us in that desire revealed in the 10th commandment. God hears your prayer for the grace of the Holy Spirit. And you can be sure that the the small beginning of obedience, it's a guarantee that the same God who make, will make you perfect in glory. When Christ returns, you will reach the goal of perfection if you depend on Him now. The Holy Spirit who gave you that one-track heart focused on perfection that you, you expressed when you sang Psalm 16, He will bring you to the day when you will be able to worship the Lord without any of the limitations that your sins today are causing. On that day, not only will you be perfect in God's sight, but you will be able to look in a mirror for yourself and see that it's true. So what will you see when you look in that mirror? The perfect you. Won't, being perfect won't change your soul as this defines who you are as a unique person. Even though your sinful nature might be coveting it in this life, you will no longer be anxious to be someone else. Rather, when you look in the mirror, you will see that you are completely defined by the fact that you live in completely dedicated fellowship with your Creator and in love for your neighbor without any of those barriers of sin standing in the way anymore. You will be identified with Christ who fulfilled the 10th commandment for everyone who believes in Him. Your identity will be in Christ so that God will be all in all in your life. Don't you long for the day when you will be able to love the Lord your God truly with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and also love your neighbor as yourself. That one track heart focused on perfection is what characterizes citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And already now, if you look around, you can distinguish these citizens from the rest of the world because they believe in the victory of Christ over death. They are free to be perfect in love toward their neighbors, even their enemies. They depend on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and righteousness through a life of constant prayer. And when they look forward, they look forward with eagerness and with hope and expectation of the goal of perfection. And they will love God and their neighbor perfectly. Then we will see ourselves obeying the 10th commandment. Then we will see ourselves perfect as God already sees us in Jesus Christ. Amen.